Father, we give you thanks. We honor you for your word and all that it brings to us. It brings to us the wisdom of the ages. It brings to us your wisdom. We are filled with your knowledge when we are in its texts. We ask, Lord, that you would help us not simply to receive the word, but also act upon it. We pray that we would learn these lessons that have benefit not only for this life, but for the next. And as we examine Moses and the plagues that are coming upon the nation of Egypt, we ask for your insight, what you were thinking, what you were feeling at that time, Lord, so that we might know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Israelites were unable to free themselves from the grip of Pharaoh. They needed someone on their side to engage in securing their freedom. And Pharaoh, he didn't ever truly relent or surrender. And Moses, although going through his own difficulty, never gave up the fight. If you transfer that to the New Testament, those who would be believers are unable to free themselves from the grips of Satan in this world. They need someone, Jesus, to be on their side to engage in the securing of their freedom. And Satan will never truly relent or surrender. And Jesus, although going through his own difficulties, namely giving up his life, he never gave up the fight. And so we want to see the connection from the Old Testament where it's concealed to the New Testament where it is revealed. We've been going through these plagues, and I've told you that these plagues, the ten that come upon the nation of Egypt, and part of them, it appears, come upon the nation of Israel, those are representative of what is going to take place in the end times, specifically in the book of Revelation. They are going to be repeated. Maybe in part we understand, possibly in whole, we don't have the full story of what's going on, but the first plague was the plague of blood, and the magicians tried to repeat that, and it was against Happy, the Nile god, uh, the god of the Egyptians. The second plague was the plague of frogs, and the magicians in Egypt repeated that as well, and that was against the god Heket, the goddess, I should say, who had a body of a woman and a head of a frog. And the third plague, which we barely got into if we did it all, was the plague of gnats or lice. And that goes against the earth god. Some say it goes against this particular god. His name is Geb, G-E-B. And there is a god for each one of these plagues or several gods which it could apply to. And when these plagues came, it showed the Israelites and the Egyptians how powerless their gods were to go against the one true god, Yahweh. And also we know that there was the rod of snakes that was uh, the rod that was turned into snakes at the beginning. That was not one of the plagues. That was simply a miracle to show that God was showing up. Now in verse 16 of chapter 8, we're going to pick it up there. We have the third plague of what the NIV calls gnats, and I think the King James calls lice. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. 
And the gnats were on men and animals. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. And so you have this, you look down, there's sand everywhere in Egypt. You look down and this dust starts to rise into the air. And the commentators are all over the board as far as what this particular insect is. Some would say it's a gnat and lice, as I have said. Some would say it's like a sand flea or a mosquito or a tick, a tick that is so small you can hardly see it, but once it latches on, uh, it can cause some sickness to take place. And quite possibly it had a little sting or a bite. But there are some commentators who say it wasn't that at all. It was more like this little insect that would go to the body and it would cause an irritation on the body and a rash all over the body and it it would go for the eyes. Have you ever noticed little gnats when they come around your head, what do they go for? They go for the eyes and the nose and the mouth and the ears. Like mosquitoes, they'll go for the ears. You hear them, they get right in there. It's because they can see the infrared spectrum and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the hot points on your face and so that's what they go for all the time. Could you imagine having so many of these little things, whatever they are, whether they fly, they probably flew, we don't know, but coming to your eyes and whenever you try to open your eyes, there would be more that would try to get in there. Have you ever been in a fog or a mist? Well, imagine that being insects. And you're going, you're trying to survive, you're trying to breathe, you put your hand over your face, you grab your shirt or your tunic, whatever it is, and you try to cover up. And every time you get stung, that's what happens. You get stung, you get bit, and it causes an irritation. And talk about being under a trial, and it's a great irritant. But it isn't anything like what is going to come upon the nation of Israel. But like I said, the commentators are kind of all over the place on this. And the failure of the magicians in Egypt was evident. They were unable to duplicate this where the previous curses, the previous plagues, they were able to duplicate and add to their own misery. But just to try to say, well, we can do that. Your God is not so great. This one, they recognized it was the finger of God. And they didn't recognize Yahweh God. They just said, there is a God that is above our God that we are unable to duplicate whatever this miracle is. So even the magicians at that particular point recognize there's something bigger than us here that's going on. And that was crucial. Going into the fourth plague, verse 20, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that they will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. So Pharaoh had time. He knew it was coming. There were already three plagues that had taken place along with the miracles. He knew that what Moses said and what Aaron was communicating was going to come to pass. But he was unwilling to make a change in this. Now, you guys, if you get a single fly in your car when you're driving, 
does it bother you at all? Do you have to roll, if you have power windows, do you roll down all the windows so the wind comes in so that one fly can get out of there? How do you feel if you have like a nice steak and it's cooling and a big fly comes in and lands on the steak? But does it cause you like, oh, I got to cut off that piece. I can't eat that. When we went to Cambodia and Dustin and Eric will testify to this and Nate, when we went to the marketplace, the meat was hanging there and there were thousands of flies all over the meat. You would walk by and you go, hmm, dinner. That's what we're eating. That, and then you would look at the kitchen at the hotel where we were. And Dustin said he specifically saw it in there. All the flies all over the meat. You know, and who wants to go to Cambodia? There we go. That's, that's the idea. And so you go there and you think, oh, did how do people live like this? And we are so repulsed by this little bitty insect that's there. And we know how they eat their food, right? You know that? You want me to tell you? <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> they, uh, flies have no teeth. They have a straw for a mouth. And in order to suck things through the straw they have to liquefy whatever it is they land on and in order to liquefy it they let's see how vague i can be they regurgitate and they dissolve whatever it is they're trying to consume so at one motion they regurgitate the next motion they suck it back up in the straw and that's how they eat imagine if one of those was 10 feet long I mean, it would just be gross. But these flies are everywhere. And talking about being a menace, uh, just one little personal anecdotal story here. I remember going to Yellowstone in the mid-60s with my parents. And we had plaid Bermuda shorts on, Converse low-top tennis shoes, white T-shirts and brill cream in our hair. And we were in a Plymouth Fury 3 station wagon with paneling on the side. And on a roof rack, we had, you know, and my dad had a bandlon shirt with his Territon cigarettes up here and his Ray-Bans on his head. And he had the, I mean, it was a typical 60s family. And my mom said, well, look, we, we have sandwiches. Let's go over this picnic area and eat there. And my mom was just amazed. There's nobody here. Why is there not anybody here? This is such a perfect space. And so we pulled in, we got out the Miracle Whip, we got out the bologna and the white Wonder Bread, and we were laying it all out there. And all of a sudden, I'm standing off from my mother about 10 feet, and I looked down, and there was something huge on her leg. And I, I looked, I couldn't believe what it was. I kid you not, this fly could have taken her away. It... <laughs> It was about one inch long, and my mom, she finally felt it kind of do what it does, you know, on her leg. And she screamed, and all of a sudden, a swarm of flies came in. There was a latrine that was over there, you know. So it's just like we couldn't get out of there fast enough because of these huge mammoth flies that were in Yellowstone. And so maybe you have a fly story like that, but these flies were on the Egyptians that were over there. And some of these Middle East insects, they're not tiny. So I, I don't know how big these flies were, but they were certainly causing a tremendous inconvenience to the people here. But 
God said, I'm going to separate who gets judged on this and who doesn't. And so in the land of Goshen, the Israelites didn't have a problem. They probably looked over to where uh, the capital was, if they could see it from there, and they were noticing these clouds. And it wasn't dust clouds. It was clouds of flies that were coming in. And they were probably just shaking their head, probably at one point joyous too because they saw the Lord working but sorrowful how bad it would have been for the individuals that were there. And, of course, this is a distinction, as I just said, between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And this is what God does. He makes a distinction between the world and its trials and judgments and us in our trials and judgments. God has care over us. And when trials come for us and they come at us, they're meant to purify us. They're meant to set us in right standing with God. They're meant to teach us. They're meant to discipline us. Where on the side of those who are in the world, those who don't know Christ, it is often sent as a judgment. And it's just simply a punishment. And that's what the Lord declares in the end times for those who do not receive Christ. They will receive punishment. And that is the word that is used in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. So some are raised to eternal life and some to eternal punishment. So it's a punishment that does not end. But the Lord, when he brings to a trial or a trial to us, it is for our benefit. And he's meant just to give us some type of discipline and direction and correction. And that's how he tells us to look at these things. And we're never to turn to God and curse God for the day that you were born. But this idea that we are humbled under those trials. And that's what was meant also to happen, I believe, with Pharaoh. But Pharaoh would not. Pharaoh just kept on hardening his heart. And so how often do we go through trials and we harden our hearts and the Lord says, you know, don't make me teach you this lesson again. It's like a parent. If a child doesn't learn a lesson the first time, do you allow him to go through the lesson the second time or the third time? And do you let the consequences come and do the consequences become more severe? And if they do, do you try to stop it? Don't try to stop it. Let it come. And that's how the Lord works, and that's how we should work with those who are around us. Not that we would take joy in that, but that's simply, as parents, how we're supposed to operate. That's how God, as a parent to us, our Heavenly Father, that's how he operates with us as well. Now, in making this distinction, this is spelled out in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. If you do have your Bible, I'd like you to turn over there. And we can see how God makes this distinction even in the New Testament. In Second Peter chapter 2, in verse 4, it begins there and it goes down to verse 10. It reads in verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when, it, when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, of course there's a distinction there, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made an example of them of, of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, you see the distinction there? A righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and despise authority. So there are 
two judgments which come, two trials which come, and God knows how to separate the two. He knows whose are his, who belong to him, and who belongs to the world or belongs to Satan. And we want to make sure that we apply this spiritually, that we are understanding what God's will is, and that we don't simply look at this as God is being really harsh on these people. Why is he acting so harsh? We know why he's doing this. We know that he's setting himself up to be recognized as God, even by Pharaoh and by the Egyptians. It doesn't mean that it changes their heart. It simply means you know. It's like the world. Does the world know that God exists? We know that scripture says men are without excuse in the book of Romans. It says we can know that God exists simply by what has been made. And those people who refuse to retain the knowledge of God, he gives them over to darkness. He gives them over to those things which they ought not to participate in, which will lead to judgment. Now, these first plagues, the water, the frogs, and the fleas, they were the fleas. The fleas or the lice, the gnats, whatever they were, we don't know what they were. They were all inconvenient. If you've ever been to a hotel, now I've never had this happen, but a hotel that has a bed bug infestation, maybe some of you have that travel a lot, or if, if you get a particular ailment going on, you know, that, that's inconvenient, like a cold. Several people have a cold right now. It's inconvenient. If you're older, it can be life-threatening, but usually a cold, is, it's just really inconvenient. And these plagues, these first three, they were tremendously inconvenient. I wouldn't want to go through any one of them, but they were really inconvenient. But what he does from this point is he starts attacking the wealth of Egypt. Because we know that the flies, they ruined the land, is what they did. But going on from here in verse 24, And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into his house of, the houses of his officials. And throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? In other words, if they were to slaughter animals, the Egyptians would rise up and there would be a war that would take place. We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Pray for me. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. So he acted deceptively again. And you know, that's what the enemy does. If you, if you take Pharaoh and you say, okay, there's Satan, Satan acts deceptively. Those things which seem appealing. Uh, for instance, you know, Bible talks about red wine. When you look at red wine in the book of Proverbs, it glistens and you smell the aroma. 
you know, you smell the cork. You've seen that on television or on shows. That you have, maybe you're a sommelier and you know wine and the different flavors of wine and you enjoy a lot of tannic acid or not very much tannic acid, but you, you like it. But the book of Proverbs says, in the end, it bites like an adder. And if you have too much, what happens? You wake up and you go, oh, my head, you know, and you, you just have this terrible feeling the next day. And the world says, don't worry, there are remedies for hangovers. You know, if you didn't indulge so much, you wouldn't have the hangover. But no, but it looks so good. It smells so good. And, you know, that's what people do. And that's what Satan does. Go ahead. It smells good. It tastes good. Is it not good for drinking? It supplies you with a good meal. And you take red wine with meat and white wine with fish or poultry. And then you have ports. And you say, how do you know all this, Pastor Bill? I used to bartend. You know, last week when I was doing... No, actually, it was... When I first got saved, I was a waiter in a restaurant. And they asked me to do some bartending to help them out. And so I did that. And I even ended up doing some private parties after that bartending. I can't remember anything about what is in a drink now. But uh, back then, that's what I did. And so I have a little bit of limited knowledge when it comes to alcohol out there. But also... You know, the, the Lord says we're to avoid certain things in this life, like sleeping with somebody that is not your spouse. I, I just read a post the other day. Uh, I told you last week that I like to read some of these millennial blogs and these posts that, that are out there. And this one girl wrote, I had sex and now I'm pregnant. And she goes on to explain everything like, now I have to decide whether or not to have an abortion or to keep the baby. And just the life change that takes place from there. And for a few moments, you think this is just heaven on earth. And then it lasts the rest of your life, the consequences of what takes place. And the Lord says, just don't. Just don't do it. Not so he can come and punish us, but for our benefit, right? So you have the alcohol, you have the sex. What about wealth? I listen to so many commercials on the radio. If you just become a day trader, don't listen to those other people. You can do this. And you know, the stock market, it's perched to just, what did it do? Take a dive of three or 400 points? Is that what it did just recently? Seven points. 370. 370, that's what it was. So it just took a dive because why? They raised the interest rates. Was it a quarter or a half percent? Something like that. It hasn't even started yet. You know, this correction has been a long time in coming and there's going to be panic. No other financial uh, venue that is out there is really working well right now. And the feds have been pumping in money. It's called the QE, quantitative easing. And that's going in the financial markets. And they're saying, go ahead, get involved in the stock market. No, it's just... For me, you know, you can do what you want. If you know how to do it, you just go ahead. But I'm going to avoid that thing like the plague. I know what's coming. It's going to come in a month or a year or two years, probably at the election. Right after the election is when it will take place. The stock market will take a dive and it's going to be all political. and It's just going to be a mess, right? It, but the enemy would say, go ahead, just 
everything you have, sink it in there, or buy gold. You need to buy a lot of gold. I mean, you have to have some wisdom on this stuff. And the enemy comes along and in all areas of life tries to convince you that this is going to be the thing. This is what you want to be involved in. And you have to seek out wisdom. You have to ask those who know, what should I do? What should I avoid? How should I be involved? Should I be involved in whatever it is that is before me? And if you do that, if you seek after God, he'll let himself be found by you and he'll protect you. But the ways of the world are, don't even ask God, just do it, right? That's the slogan that's out there. You deserve a break today. Oh yeah, have it your way. You know all the jingles that are out there. And that's Pharaoh. He acts deceitfully. He wants to make sure that Uh, Moses thinks he's going to give up the right to keep the people there, but he's not doing that at all. He just wants the consequence taken away. And so he reevaluates deceptively, uh, and he just decides, I'm not going to let the people go. Now, also in this, Pharaoh wanted Moses to compromise. He said, all right, I'm going to let you go, but you can't go very far. And Moses is saying, no, it needs to be a three-day journey. But Pharaoh, no, you can't go very far. Now, has anybody ever asked you to compromise your faith? Speaking of this bartending gig that I had when I was about 21 or so, uh, I went to this one house. I went to high school with this guy, and his father was a doctor, and it was at Christmas time, and he was putting on a Christmas party. And he asked me, because I was really good friends with him and his family, asked me to man the bar. And I said I would do it for them. And so I showed up, and this person that I had gone to high school with, her mother came up to me and found out that I had become a Christian. And she was standing there with her glass of wine, and she was twilling it around like this. And she was talking to me. She goes, I heard you'd become a Christian. She goes, that's wonderful. As long as you don't go overboard, that's wonderful. Well, I didn't follow that advice. I'm pastoring now. I don't know what she's doing, but I still know her daughter, you know, and and I could be in contact with her. But I was pretty much encouraged strongly, just don't be radicalized. You know, go to church and just say your amens and Hail Marys if you need to, but don't give your heart fully to Christ. Just back away a little bit. I was also told not to go to Calvary Chapel, San Diego. Of course, that's where I went. You know the story, some of you who are in here. We drove by it, and uh, this guy that I was with, his, uh, uh, my wrestling coach actually, he said, yeah, you don't want to go there. All these people were pouring out of church. I go, what's that? And this is before I was a believer. And he goes, oh, you, you don't want to go there. That's a church. So I went there. Radical, on-fire Christians, you know, and I stayed there for many years. After that, this idea that you would compromise and people would come along, they want you to compromise. I had a journalism teacher. If that works for you, that's just fine. Tried to witness her. If that works for you, you go right ahead. You know, just keep it to yourself. And Christ says, go tell the world. So who should I listen to? These people who have said compromise or just go out in a blaze of glory. Just keep on going. Ever ready, bunny. Do not stop. When the world says stop or compromise or pull back your faith a little bit, that's when you just gear up. You just say, I will not pull back. If God tells me to go three days into the wilderness, I'm going three days and I'm waiting to see if he wants me to go more. 
I'm not just going to go over the next sand hill or the next sand dune and just plant there because this person of the world says to do so. We're not called to compromise. That's what Pharaoh wanted the Israelites to do, and that's what Satan wants you to do. When you get this little inkling, well, maybe I should do something for the Lord. And then you reconsider. Why reconsider? Why not just go for it? You know, the most popular thing on television is extreme. Extreme anything, right? Extreme bungee jumping, extreme skydiving. Have you seen these skydivers? There's two types. The type that put the wing on their back. And they have the model engines, and they actually fly. They can go 125 miles horizontally with this wing on their back. How fun. That's extreme. Or these guys who put on these suits that look like flying squirrels, and they go down through these fords in you know, some of these Norwegian countries, and they just fly like squirrels, and they just skim the tops of the trees as they're flying down towards the bottom of the valleys. And that's extreme. Some people get killed doing that. Or these bike riders that do backflips six and seven times as they're going through the air. How many times did they not make it? You know, it's it's extreme. The only thing you need to be extreme in is your service for Christ. If you do that, everything else will be balanced. That's how it works. But, you know, you get this inkling to do something or to follow the Lord or be more devoted to him... And you think, you know, that's a lot of work. I don't know if I want to be involved totally in that. But if you have a pursuit, a hobby that you would like, do you give yourself fully to that? <laughs> yeah. Like, have you ever seen these domino things that people set up? Hours and hours and hours setting up dominoes. They are fully given to it. And the domino, you know, they, it's the church of the domino and they, they all fall down. And it is just worthless. It's fun, but it only lasts for a little while. If you give yourself fully to the Lord, it lasts forever. I'm not talking about just this life, but it'll last forever. It has benefit for the next life as well. So don't follow the commandments of someone like Pharaoh or Satan or someone in the world that says, just take it easy, just pull back a little bit. Don't do quite so much. Man, you go to church so much. Why, why are you there Sundays? And if there's a meeting Sunday night, you go then, and you go Wednesday too, and then you go to a home fellowship. What is wrong with you? You are kind of just radicalized aren't you and then the world starts saying that you know if you're an evangelical christian fundamental in your beliefs you are called a radical you are called an extremist i would wear that moniker with honor if somebody called me that that's what i want to be i want to be an extremist for christ i want to be zealous for him the only problem with being zealous is you have to have knowledge with it if you don't have knowledge and you're all zealous you're kind of like a puppy right Ever seen a puppy that is real zealous? Ends up getting hurt or hurting somebody else or knocking over something or just causing mayhem all over the place. And so we want to make sure that we are doing all that we can for the Lord. Now, as far as compromise is concerned, this last week there was an attempt to compromise. Compromise in the educational system. This was posted December 13th, 2015 at 6.01 a.m. by Susan Edelman. Santa Claus is banned. The Pledge of Allegiance is no longer recited. Harvest Festival has replaced Thanksgiving and Winter Celebration Substitute for Christmas Parties. New principal Eugen Jalel Kim has given PS 169 in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, a politically correct scrub down to the dismay of teachers and parents. We definitely can't say Christmas. Nothing with Christmas on it. Nothing with Santa. PTA President Mimi Ferrer 
said administrators told her no angels we can't even have a star because it represents a religious system like the star of david maybe you heard about this that was on the news you know what the parents response was we're doing it anyhow forget you and so they they just kind of raised up and rebelling and she pulled this back but she was trying to institute get rid of all religious holidays no reference to any god or any deity whatsoever we want to just wipe it out and that is the world the world wants to do that in every year at christmas or at easter we see this idea turn it into spring break turn it into a, a harvest festival instead of thanksgiving who are you giving thanksgiving to you're giving thanksgiving to god and where did it originate it originated with the pilgrims that's where it started it is uniquely a christian and american holiday that we celebrate and we want to change the meaning of this you know who else wants to change some of these set times and dates the antichrist the antichrist you know there have been moves in the past to make what is our work week how many days should you work Four days. If you work for the government, yeah, that's right. I'm going to work four tens or four twelves, and I'm going to take three days off. You know, uh, firemen. I know they do a fantastic job, but when you become a fireman, they say "Welcome to retirement" is what they say, and they usually have two jobs going on. Again, firemen. I know that they have a specific job. It's just the union that kind of oversees them. There can be problems with that. But anyhow, this this idea that uh, these changing these dates and times and seasons there has been a move in europe before to make a 10-day work week and then you have a few days off there is a move that is in our country it's already here you work four tens or four twelves and there's a, a change in the number of days how many days did god say you're supposed to work six day and on the seventh day you're supposed to rest right and one man considers one day more holy in the New Testament than another or more reverential on one day. And one man considers all days the same. We are fulfilling the Sabbath rule by being in Christ. We have entered into our rest. And so as far as worshiping on Saturday, which the Seventh-day Adventists say would be the spirit of Antichrist, it, it's not like that. We worship on Sunday because that's the resurrection day. That's the day that the Christians got together after the resurrection and they worship Jesus Christ. And that has been the tradition ever since the inception of the church. But this idea of changing it where you wipe out the holiday, you wipe out the end of the week, where you change these set times. And it is definitely going to occur like school. There's year round school. Now it used to be, you took the summer off. Now they want to change all that. I'm not saying the devil did that. You have to pay attention to what I'm talking about. Certainly anything with God in reference to God, there is going to be a move to change that, to wipe that out. And that's exactly what happened in New York. This will not be the last time you give the next 10 years Chances are it'll become against the law to even mention Christ or Christmas in any public square or any public event, and you'll probably be sued if you do. And that's just where we're going. But that is the spirit of Antichrist. The Antichrist himself will seek to change all of that, to turn all this around. If you're in doubt, you might say, where does it say that in Scripture? I don't know. No, it says it in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. That's where it's located. He will try to change these set times and these set days. It says, and he will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. 
the saints will be handed over to him for times time and half a time, which is three and a half years. And so that is what is in store. So you see the world which is doing that. You saw Pharaoh which is doing that. But you also have this inner conflict. You wage this war every single time something spiritual comes up for you to do. And of course, we know this is Romans chapter 7, the end of chapter 7. The things you want to do are not the things you do. The very things you don't do are the things that you do. And who will deliver you from this body of death? So that, spiritually speaking, it is always prevalent. It is always there. You will always be battling that, especially when it comes to your thoughts of others. Especially to those inside the church. You'll look at each other, and some people will, you'll consider your friends. Other people you're going to consider acquaintances. Other people in the church, you will consider your adversaries. And it is a heart condition that does that. We are all called by the grace of God, and we are all unique in our makeup. But we will look at each other and the judgments. You might say, how do you know this? Because I do it. And then I go, you filthy sinner. And I look at myself and I judge myself. What am I doing? And I love it when the Lord brings me back. And he says, those are my people. You are to love them no matter what they do to you. It doesn't matter a hill of beans. You just be obedient. And that's how we're supposed to deal with each other. We're supposed to extend grace. We're supposed to extend mercy to each other. And we're supposed to stop judging and make a proper judgment about individuals who are there. As you get older in the Lord, you'll just be able to turn to somebody that maybe is an adversary of yours inside the church, and you're going to say, boy, a sinner saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus, for saving them as well, because they're going to need it even more than I will, you know, something along that line. And that's how we want to look at the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this conflict takes place in the world. It comes from Satan, and it comes from our innermost beings. Then we go on to the fifth plague. Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses and donkeys and camels, and on your cattle and sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, again, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. Again, he gave Pharaoh the chance to stop this, but he would not. And the next day the Lord did it. And here you need to kind of circle this. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. So he's attacking their very ability, their property, the ability to survive He's taking that away. But not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found out not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. He must have just been beside himself. Just fuming. Hands flailing in the air. Yelling at his servants. Probably throwing things. He was just not going to have any part of this Yahweh. This God. God who was doing this. And I'm sure he was even more determined to make the lives of the Israelites even more miserable. Now, this was a direct attack on at least one of the gods in Egypt. There was Apis, a bull god. He he had the second largest temple in Egypt at this particular time. And he was one of the 
gods that was worshipped, this head of a bull, you know, type of thing. And then there was maybe another god or goddess, uh, Hathor. Uh, She was a woman with the head of a cow. And, And so all of these plagues, as they're coming to fruition in the nation of Egypt, again, the gods become impotent. They are unable to do anything to stop what is taking place or to stop the hand of God. And the book of Proverbs tells us about this. Now, the book of Proverbs was written after this time, but Pharaoh was hardening his heart and he was just falling into trouble. If we harden our heart under the hand of God, Proverbs 28 verse 14 says, Blessed is a man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. And this is exactly what Pharaoh did was hardening his heart, and his whole kingdom was ruined as a result. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace, and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses or Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. So this is the sixth plague, the plague of boils. Uh, Maybe you've had some boils in the past. Uh, maybe you're allergic to particular medications. Uh, these boils, imagine chicken pox or measles uh, erupting over your entire body and then all of them becoming infected where they turn white and they're filled with dead white blood cells and they're filled with bacteria and they're filled with remnants of skin, skin cells that have been deteriorating. And that was covering their entire body. And it would be on the soles of their feet all the way to the top of their head. Do you remember anybody like this from Scripture that had this particular ailment? It was Job. And what did he do to try to find relief? He did. He took a broken potsherd and he would scrape the oozing off of his arms and off of his legs. Could you imagine being in this kind of state? Even Pharaoh himself was experiencing this and his temperature was continuing to rise. And then the Lord hardens his heart. Can you imagine being ill? Now this is being ill at this particular point and then just being so angry that you just can't stand it. And this is Pharaoh. He's throwing a tantrum, I'm sure, at some particular point, and he's busting out in all of these sores everywhere, just, I mean, just sick. It's just horrible. And he will not repent. How many times does the Lord have to show up for this guy to repent? Never will he repent. That's what Satan does. No matter what type of trial Satan ends up going through concerning us, he will never stop. And the Lord knows it. But the Lord gives him chance after chance after chance. Now, am I talking about Pharaoh or Satan? I think both are true. When it comes to Pharaoh, he gave him chance after chance after chance. And if he is a representative of Satan, even though we don't have it in the text, and I don't want to read too much into it, he would have, because he is a God of mercy, he would have given Satan a chance as well. Just like he gave us a chance. He is a God of second chances. 
But Pharaoh would not, just like Satan would not. Going on. There is one commentary. This is what it says about these little blisters. The natural substratum of this plague is discovered by most commentators in the so-called Nile blisters, which come out in innumerable little pimples upon the scarlet-colored skin and change in short space of time into small, round, thickly crowded blisters. This is called by the Egyptians Ham el-Nil, or the heat of inundation. And so there would be a rash, there would be heat all over the skin, they would be tight clusters all over the body, and it was just a festering, sore, oozing, dead white blood cell and bacteria little pustule that would be there. And I know I'm being a little graphic here, but God is graphic. In the original languages, if you go there and you investigate what he's talking about, he wants you to see the severity of what has taken place and how somebody will not turn. And so we want to apply all this. And by the way, this probably goes against the goddess Nuit. She is the god of the sky because the dirt was thrown into the sky and the dust just percolated over the entire sky and caused this plague to come upon the people. So the things we want to walk away with here are God makes a distinction between believers and unbelievers in trials and judgments. If you belong to God... The trials you get are uniquely fashioned for you. And you don't have to harden your heart. You simply want to be humble and fear the Lord when these things take place. And he's using it in your life, in my life, when it takes place to get us to the right position, to where we can be used by him, to where we are being perfected. But for those in the world, this is a judgment, a punishment that will go on forever if there is no repentance. Also... The world will hate you if you follow God. Scripture talks about this in specific, that the righteous are hated by the wicked and the wicked are hated by the righteous. And I'll give you the uh, scripture next week. But when you follow God, there is going to be this animosity which rises. The more of a witness you are, the more the world is going to turn away from you. You know Christmas is coming up. And if there are family members that do not believe, you want to avoid getting in an argument. The servant of the Lord must not be argumentative, must not strive with other people who are around. But you can be a witness. You can be a gentle witness to those who are perishing. But remember, you represent a stench, the stench of judgment, which is coming out there. Also, we don't want to compromise with the world, no matter how severe the opposition is. You can make a stand for God. And you don't have to compromise your faith, although the world will say, go ahead, it's all right, it's just fine. You don't have to worry about it. Just be one of us. You know, it's just Christmas. Be one of us. All right? And you might end up saying, no, I'm not going to. Well, just fine then. Just go ahead and have your Christmas over there in the corner. You, you, You get those types of things going on, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. But you just, you go, okay. You know, I'm going to wrap this up with an anecdotal story. Leslie, are you in here? She's serving. She's on the other side. Brenda, you're in here. Uh, Leslie and Brenda, you were on the river over here, and you ran into a homeless guy, right? And the homeless guy was studying with the Jehovah Witnesses, right? And so Leslie witnessed to him and said, don't do that. Leslie got his phone number and said, my pastor will call you. Is that not correct? 
Okay. So Leslie comes up to me and says, will you call this guy who was talking to the Jehovah Witnesses? He's a homeless guy. He's just looking for a job. You know, he wants to, he wants to get some help. And so I said, he said for me to give him a call. He wants to talk to me. I double and triple checked with Leslie because, you know, sometimes a pastor calls up. What are you doing calling me? You know, that type of thing. So I double checked with Leslie. Are you sure he wants me to talk to him? And she said, yes, I got his number and he agreed to do that. So you can call him. So I ended up texting him, right? And she said, text him. So I texted him and, uh, I told him who I was and I told him, Leslie gave me your number and he goes, oh yeah, Leslie. Hey, can you give me her number? I go, it's not my habit to give out other people's numbers. And then I forwarded all this information to Leslie And then he keeps on texting me and he says after that, well, I didn't authorize her to give out my number and so I'm not coming to church and she was supposed to get me a job. I mean, he just went off on this rant and I just go, okay. And I just sent it off that way. It's like, what happened to this guy? Not at all. The guy. You didn't know that that took place. That's not at all the guy that was there. And it, like the talons came out and the sulfurous breath and the horns. It was just like, what are you doing calling me? I, I wasn't even going to engage him. And so all of a sudden, his plea for help, he was counting on Leslie to give him something and she wasn't doing it and how dare she give me his number and I text him and it's like wow you know that is the world that is the enemy they are not open to the things of God they just want to see how they can manipulate things and get what they want so that is the lesson we should walk away with this idea of Pharaoh he just wants to manipulate things to get him the way he wants just like Satan wants to manipulate you to get you to the way you want and God just stands in the background saying you choose you choose this day whom you will serve and Joshua said as for me and my house we will serve the Lord let's pray Father, we thank you for the lessons that Moses and Aaron and the Israelites are experiencing. We pray for your assistance. May we learn these lessons from afar. Help us not to encounter them firsthand unless it be by your will, Lord. And if it is, give us the grace to endure. Give us your understanding. Give us your wisdom to try to piece together some sense of you are working. And we thank you, Lord, for this time of year where we can bring this closer to home, that your son was born here for our sakes, to give us direction, to give us salvation, to give us that relationship with you. Help us to cherish this as we look forward to Christmas this week. In Jesus' name.